0: Good morning. We are so glad you're here today, whether you're here in person or whether you're with us online. We're just really glad to have you. Did our ladies not do a fantastic job of leading us in worship? We are so fortunate to have people who can step up when uh, Eric and somebody else is not here. I'm stepping up for Pastor Mike today. He is in Israel with with a team of our people uh, in Israel. They are doing great. Uh, he's been sending little updates and pictures out and about, and so, so they're doing fine. He will be back next week, but I believe actually Pastor Jeremiah is going to be preaching for us. So, uh, so we hope you'll join us next week for Jeremiah's preaching, but also for our life group rally, where you get an opportunity to learn all there is about all of our different life groups, and that'll be in here as well, and so we hope that you'll come back for that. I do want to tell you, I'm, I'm excited about stepping into the second uh, message here in this message series about perfect fit. Um, I thought Tony did an amazing job of last week of helping us realize that that we have to know our purpose and have to find our purpose and and live inside that purpose. And isn't it exciting to have a purpose? Life is just better and just more fulfilling when we are living for a purpose. And especially when we're living for a purpose that's outside of us. And so one of the things that, that, that we have been talking about a lot is that in, in the fall, in November, we're going to three services. And we're doing this for a purpose. We're doing this for a reason. We're doing this because we have, if you, if you come on a, on a Sunday morning, you can see it is hard to find seats sometimes. It's hard to, 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 to know where somebody's supposed to sit if they're coming in for the first time. And Mike, Pastor Mike has been preaching us over and over and over again that we want to identify who our one more is. When we started back at the beginning of school with Ducks in a Row, our message series, he talked about our vision. He talked about our priorities, about getting all that straight so that we can be empowered, that we can be equipped, and we can be mobilized to reach that one more, because that one more matters. And so we're going to three services, and it's an exciting thing. I hope you're excited about it. It's something that we should be excited about because it allows us to do the work that we need to do to prepare to reach that one more. Is there going to be some sacrifice in all that? Yeah, there it is. There's going to be a lot of sacrifice. Is it going to be worth it? Yes, it is. Is it necessary? Yes, it is. We need space. We need a place where people can come. And when they come, they know they're valued and they're welcomed. So before we get in our service, let me just tell you today, um, we're going to be talking about relationship and not religion. But I want to pray for us real quick before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you love us. I thank you that you created us to have a relationship with you. I thank you that you created us with a desire to to be on purpose with you, a desire to, to know you. And Lord, as we know you and love you, that we would take that to the other people of this world, Lord, that you would use your truth and your love to feed us and to grow us so that we would go out into this world to show other people your love. And Lord, as we speak today, Lord, I just pray that your word would be heard. It's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about relationship, not religion. And Pastor Mike in the last couple of weeks has been talking a lot about the fact that we are to love God and we are to love others. So why has he been talking about that so much? Why has that been something he's spoken about so much? Is because relationships matter to God. And if relationships matter to God, they should matter to us. And God wants us to have a love relationship with him. And out of that love relationship with him should become a relationship with other people. It should, it should, take our relationships and take them to a point where we are loving others for the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. All right. So, so when we are talking a lot about, we're talking about God desires for us to reach that one more. We want to reach that one more, but we don't only want to just reach that one more. God wants us to reach that one more. And God wants us to reach one more. And he wants us to reach one more and one more until we reach everybody in the world. This is what God has called us to. This is what his purpose is for us. God created us for a relationship, and God purposed us for a relationship. And if this is the purpose that God created us for, why is it sometimes so hard? Why is it sometimes so difficult? Why do we feel powerless and ineffective sometimes when we are trying to do the purpose that God gave us, which is to love God And to love others, and I think part of it is what Pastor Tony spoke about last week. In his first point, he said, "If you don't know something's purpose, you will likely abuse it." And now, we might abuse it unintentionally, but what I would say is, if you don't know something's purpose, you are more than likely going to do it wrong. Okay, and so a lot of times we just do things wrong. I think we know that God wants us to love God. We know that God wants us to love others. We know that he wants us to be in relationship with him and others, but we don't always know how that plays out in our lives. We don't always undersue or pursue it in the right fashion. So we don't know how our actions or our relationships or our thoughts or our opinions or our perspectives fit into God's ultimate plan for our lives. In other words, we're trying to fit the wrong things into the wrong places. And I want to give you an illustration of that. When I was five years old, I was the youngest child, the youngest boy. Life was great, and it was wonderful. And my parents came to me one day and said, hey, we're going to have another baby. And they just crushed my world. (laughs) I was the most important thing to them. I was the reason why they existed, or at least that's what I thought. And I thought that everything was always going to be this way, and it was always going to be perfect. And somehow, with the indignity of their thought process, they decided to replace me with another baby. And not just another baby, they went ahead and had another boy. Okay. And so I see him and I'm like, eh, he's okay. He'll be all right. You know, he's this little chunk of something and, and just living there. And I'm like, he's all right. I guess we can keep him. And then I realized that if we keep him, he's going to steal all the attention that I was getting before. And if that wasn't as bad, then they started giving him my toys and my stuff. And so I'm about six, seven years old. My brother's a toddler and he started to use this one toy all the time. And he loved this toy, but it was my toy. I didn't want to play with it anymore, but it was still my toy. And so it was one of those, you've probably, some of y'all have seen them. It was a, a sphere type thing. It was blue and red, the nice primary colors, and it had yellow shapes. And you would try to put the shapes in the corresponding places. And so they had stars, they had ovals, they had triangles, they had diamonds, they had squares and circles, and you just put them in the right place. And the little pieces were yellow, and then you would get them all in there and you would pull it and had this spring action thing. It would open up and they would shake out and you started all over again. It was really kind of a boring tool toy, but my brother loved it. He thought it was the greatest toy in the world. And the sad part was is that even though he played with it all the time, he didn't even know how to use it right. He was always trying to put the wrong shape in the wrong place. And besides it was my toy and he didn't do it the way I wanted to. He didn't do it the way I did it. So, you know, I had to take matters into my own hands. Okay. So at that point in life, I had started to get a little bit better toys, a whole lot cooler toys definitely a lot more useful toys, somebody that Christmas gave me a plastic toy kit. And so I go to my plastic toy kit, and there it is, exactly what I needed. There was a hammer. And so I take that hammer, and I take each piece, and I match up each piece with a completely different hole that doesn't fit, and I start hitting it with my hammer and hitting it with my hammer until I had stuck every piece, had got every piece stuck in a hole that it didn't belong in. Not pushed in, not fit in, but stuck in it. And in doing so, I had rendered the whole entire thing useless. The point was, though, is I wasn't really trying to destroy the toy. I was really just trying to antagonize my brother. I was upset that my brother was using something that was mine. I was upset that my parents had brought him into my life. I was upset that I wasn't the most important thing again, and I took care of it. And I will be honest, I was pretty proud of my ingenuity and resourcefulness. I had a problem, and I solved it. But I solved it in the wrong way, and I, what I created was a problem for my mother. Because my brother, because he didn't have the toy he loved anymore, began to cry and whine because he was a baby. Uh, yeah. And so, but I what I did is I destroyed the thing that had purpose for him because it no longer had that purpose for me. And side note, my mom got him a new one because he was a spoiled brat. But uh, <laughs> this is often. Uh, This is often, though, what we do with God's purpose in our lives. We know that we are to love God. We know that we are to love others, but we decide whether intentionally or not to make sure that it fits how we see fit, or we do it in our way, or it fits our needs, or it fits our agenda, or we take the easiest way out as a default. And we do this whether it is for the benefit of others or not. We don't really care, just as long as it makes our life a little bit easier. Then to make us feel good about this and to make this feel right, we justify it, we codify it, we systemize it, and we call it religion or we call it religious activities. And though they give recognition or credence to God in what we do, they don't often or always reflect God's word or God's purposes. But the truth is that God has always and always will prefer relationship over religion. And contrary to that, man in their interaction with God throughout the years is almost always, or more often than not, chosen religion over relationship. And sometimes that religion is based on a love of God without a love of people. Sometimes it's based on a love of people without a love of God. Almost always it's based on some form of love of self. But, it, it, but what it does is, is we're trying to put the wrong shape in the wrong hole and we are nowhere near the perfect fit of what God has planned for us. So, um, God always connects love of God with the love of others. Always connects the love of God with the love of others. Theologian J.D. Smart wrote, one of the unique features of the biblical faith is that there is no genuine relationship with God that is not at the same time in relationship with the brother. There is no genuine relationship with God that is not at the same time in relationship or in relation with the brother. And Jesus spoke about this as well. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, you you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. I want to stop there real quick. It says that to love God is important, but to love others is equally as important. It means that they are of the same thing. They are two of the same kind. They are two sides of the same coin. They are interdependent of one another. To love God, we have to love others. And to love others, we have to love God. They are equally important. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we have two commandments, love God and love others. And then it says that everything else that's in God's word, all of the law, all of the words of prophet, everything else that's in God's word is based upon us loving God and loving others. And the word, actually, the word based here actually literally means hangs. It means it's kind of the idea of that they are dependent on the other. They would not exist without the other and and they would have no point or no matter. So everything in God's word matters because of his two commands to love God and to love others. And he's basically saying is that if you do everything else that's in God's word, but you don't love God and you don't love others, everything else is a misunderstanding or a misuse of God's purpose and word. I want to repeat that for you. Everything else is a misunderstanding or a misuse of God's purpose and word. When I hear that, that stings a little bit. Because I know I have, and I know most of us have, at some point in our lives there are, we, have, we have said words or we have done things and we say that we're doing these for God. And we say that these are godly type things that we're doing, but there was no love of God and there was no love of others or there was no love of either in our decisions and our actions. And when we do this, this is not God's purpose for us. This is sin. 1 John uh, 2 He says, if anyone claims I am living in the light, if anyone says I love God, if anyone says I am following Jesus, however you want to express it, but if anyone says that, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still in darkness. That hurts. And then in 1 John 5, 2 and 3, he kind of reverses it. He says, but no, we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. God's commands are what? To love God. And to love others. So he's saying, we know that you love others if you are obeying God's commands. Loving God means keeping his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. God's saying, if you want to love me, if you want to obey me, love me, love others. If you love others and you love me, you're going to obey me. It's all part of the same. So relationship with God is loving God and loving others. But what about Religion. Isn't religion just really the demonstration of our relationship with God? And that is true. Sometimes that can be true, but sometimes the opposite can be true. And so I want to give you a definition that the Bible gives us in James 1. Or, yeah, James, 1. James says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. And so James gets right to the point. He says, he says there's two things here. The control is, is our actions and the tongue is our words, right? And so he says, if you can't control your tongue then you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. And so when we think about the tongue, it cuts both ways. So often we say we believe in God. We say we trust God. We say we love God. We have faith in God, but our words and our actions undercut what we are saying. Our words and our actions take away from what we're saying. And and our words and our actions take away from our witness to what we're saying. But the same thing goes the other way. Sometimes our tongue and our lack of control of our tongue cuts people. It hurts people. It critiques people. It shows our hatred for people. And God is saying that I I need your words and your actions to live up to your faith. But he's also, he says, but pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father Who's the only opinion that matters? God the Father. He says, for pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So basically he's saying that loving and caring for others and loving God and his words and his way, this is God's desire for us. This is what God requires. This is what God purposed us for. But we're going to look today at uh, Isaiah 58. We're going to contrast how loving God and loving others uh, with a false and empty religion that's devoid of that requirement, that void of that idea of a relationship with God and others. And so if you'll turn with me, turn to Isaiah 58. We're going to start in verse 1. Isaiah is, uh, God is speaking to Isaiah and he tells Isaiah, he says, Shout with a voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. And so what he's saying here is he's saying when they are doing their version of religion and not in relationship to me they are in sin. He's saying I want you to shout and tell them. Tell them that they are sinners and and as they are sinners he's likewise telling us that when we put relationship over or when we put religion over relationship we're not just out of purpose. We're just not out of fit. We are actually in an act of disobedience and sin. And he's going to tell us what this sin looks like. Tells us in verse two, he says, Yet they act so pious. Pious is just a big word for religious. He says, They act so religious. They come to the temple every day and they seem, keyword seem, delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. And so, our first point is religion seems praiseworthy. They had the appearance of righteousness. They had the appearance of a real relationship with God. They had the appearance of seeking out God and his ways. But God said, I saw your hearts. I saw the conditions that you were putting on your relationship. God saw through their religion. And so he goes on after he sees through their religion. He says, he says, they asked me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Pretending they want to be near me. And they say, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. And it's the idea of we come to, God, I'm at church every time the doors are open. I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm making all the things. I look good as a Christian. I look good. We look good as a church. Why are you not impressed? Why are you not speaking for us? And that's basically what the Israelites are doing. And he says, I will tell you why. He says, it's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? Religion can become self-serving. In this passage, he starts off, he says uh, he says, you seem delighted in me, but he ends with, but you are fasting to please yourself has nothing to do with God. We're doing it to please ourselves. It is, and I want you to hear, this: it is good for us to delight in God. It is good for us to worship him. It's good for us to seek him, to serve him, to love him, to delight in him, and to do all those things. And there is pleasure, and there is blessing, and there is reward in that. But God says it is never meant to be done out of self-interest. We do it for God, not for ourselves. And it is surrender. It's not duty. It's not manipulation. And it's never done at the expense of others. When he talks about them oppressing workers, he's saying, saying, you say you're worshiping me. You say you're fasting. You say you're doing the things I asked you to do. But you keep on treating people poorly and you keep on sinning by the way that you hacked and loved towards one another. Religion can also harden our hearts towards God and others. He talks about how when you're fasting, you just continue to, to fight and quarrel. And, and I want to ask you something: when, when we come to when we come to God, when we come to church, however you want to say it, is our sacrifice for our relationship with God, our worship, and our service, is it for the outward love of others? Do when we come to church, are we coming so that we can serve others because we love others, and we want to be with them, and we want to help them understand God more? Do when we come to church, do we leave this place with a heart and a passion that says, "Hey, I can't wait to go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I can't wait to tell somebody about God and what He's doing in my life." Does it make us desire to love? others or is it just another obligation is it just another inconvenience where if everything doesn't go exactly the way we want it we get miserable we get grouchy we get cantankerous we get petty and we get cruel to others and loving god should always lead to loving others as individuals as communities As people groups, uh, we are supposed to love everyone, whether they agree with us, whether they look like us, whether they act like us, whether they believe the same things as us. There is no condition that God puts on our love towards others. Even when he talks about his law and his truth, he tells us to speak the truth with love. And we do that with love and with purpose so that we might have an opportunity to lean into the goodwill of others and mainly that we might have an opportunity to lead them to a relationship with God. Verse 4 says, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. So this kind of action, God is saying, is not what I desire. This is not what I need. This is not what I'm looking for. And so he's just telling him, like, what you're doing is wrong, okay? And he says, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending to the wind or bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves of ashes. You mourn and you plead for me. You, you seek me, but you don't really want me. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? And religion often involves, evolves into us just going through the motions. We can do this as well. And I want to say a couple things about it. First, that this is unacceptable to God. If we love God, We should want to spend time with him. We should want to praise him. We should want to worship him. We should want to serve him. We should want to be about his kingdom and about his ministry. And we should do it with incredible joy and incredible passion. And I loved what Pastor Tony said last week. He said, 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 "I," said, I get so excited because God chose to use me. Think about that. We should get so excited that God chose to use us. We should be so excited, so humbled, and so with such gratitude that God chose to love us. And not only to love us, but to work through us. And not only to work through us, but to allow us and trust us with the message of the church and the message of Jesus Christ. When we wake up in the morning, that should get us excited. When we wake up in the morning, we should be excited about the fact that God loved us and chose us. And we should come to him with gratitude and humility and say, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. But so often we just go through the motions. And so the second thing I want to say here is that this is an easier trap to fall into than you might think. We all know the things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go to church, right? We're supposed to read our Bible. We're supposed to give to the church. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to to, to serve. We're supposed to be involved in, in, in life groups and be in community with other people. And yes, we are. And that's what God wants from us. And God desires that from us. And we start off and we're strong and we're wholehearted and we love what we get to do. And then after a few little, little while, we start to get, think maybe okay, this is good. Maybe not as great as I thought it was. And, and then we start to like, I'm a little bored with all this. And then what we start doing is we're really just going to check a box. We're really just doing it to go make sure we fulfill our requirements. So I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, an itty bitty little Southern Baptist church uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where I think it was the only Southern Baptist church. And, uh, And so when we, and I grew up in Sunday school, we didn't have life groups or small groups or all the things we call it now, but we had Sunday school. And I would get to Sunday school and on a little table in front of me as I walked in would be an envelope. And on that envelope would be this list of different requirements that you could have possibly done during the week. And so you would go in and you would sign your name and I would write Steve in really bad handwriting. I would write Steve and it would say, are you present? Well, I just wrote my name. So yes, I'm present. So I would mark that box. And then it would ask you like, did you go to worship? I'm like, yeah, my mom made me go to worship. I was outside playing ball with my friends, but she made me come in. So yes, I went to worship and I checked the box. And then it would say, did you bring your Bible? And I would start feeling like, yeah, my mom did stick my my New Testament in my back pocket. So yeah, I got my Bible. And you check that off. And then it says, then they ask you a little bit tougher question. Did you read your Bible this week? And I sit there and I go, you know, it sat on my nightstand, which is right next to my head while I sleep. So, you know, yeah, yeah, I read my Bible this week. So I checked the little box. I read my Bible. They said, are you giving? And I'm like, start patting myself down. And I realize I have a piece of gum a nickel and a penny in my pocket. I put that in the envelope. It's like, yeah, I gave. And then they ask you the big one. They say, have you shared Jesus with anybody this week? And I'm sitting there going, man, did I do that this week? No, no. Wait, whoa, hold on, hold on. I talked to Jesus, who's in my fifth grade math class. So that's got to count. And so you just check that box. And so I check all these boxes and, and, and I was checking these boxes, not because of my heart, not because I wanted to love God and to love others. I was checking those boxes because I wanted my scorecard to look a whole lot better than the next person to sign that sheet. And so we were, I was doing it out of obligation. I was doing it going through the motions, not because I really loved God and loved others. And the truth is, though, is that God is not pleased with our actions or our performance. What he's pleased with is the heart behind those actions and performances. And in speaking to, to God's people as, as, as they were going through rebellion, uh, God spoke to them in Isaiah 1, 11, and he says, What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? We could ask, so what makes you think I want all of your check marks on the boxes? What makes you think I want all the activities and all the little things you say you do for my purpose? What makes you think I want all of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings, of the rams, and of the fat of the fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And God was saying, I don't want your sacrifices. He was saying, they were doing these sacri- I want you to say they were doing these sacrifices. they were doing what they thought was the right thing. They were doing actually what God commanded them, but God's saying, "You're not doing them with the right heart. I can see right through what you're doing, and you were doing them just to do them. Or you were doing them to fulfill an obligation, or you were doing them to appease a requirement, or you were doing them to get something from me. And God says, "I didn't, don't want your sacrifices. I want your hearts." And God's saying the same thing to us. He's saying, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your attendance. I don't want your giving. I don't want your time. I don't want your service. I don't want your money. He doesn't need it. He's going to be fine without it. But what he does want is he wants our hearts. And when he has our hearts and when we have a relationship with him, we want to love him. We want to worship him. We want to serve him. And we want to be devoted to him for his sake and not our own. And we will freely and gladly do all of that. But let me go back to Isaiah 58, verse 6. And he says, he's already told him that they sinned, but now he's going to tell them what kind of fasting he wants and what kind of worship he wants and what he thinks religion, I guess, or whatever we want to call it, should look like. And I say loving God should look like. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. He says, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. And so in this passage, he's saying that relationship changes your hearts. When we look at this list, we see a couple things about it. First of all, it is not about us. Not a single thing in that list benefits us. Everything there is something that we are to do for other people. So God's pointing us to, saying, take yourself out of it, Love me and love others. And that's what he's pointing us towards. And then, but it's also a comprehensive list. There are families. It talks about family members, talks about friends, probably talks about members of the church, but it goes a whole lot further than that. This is a systematic love of all people to meet them at their circumstances and their place of need. And it's both corporate and it's individual. And it's the idea of the fact that I should care about the ills and the needs of society as much as I care about the needs of the person down the road. And I most certainly should care about the needs of the people in my family. A lot of times we're really good at loving out there and really bad at loving in the home. And God's saying, I want you to love in the home and I want you to love out there and I want you to love everybody in between. And I want you to love them for the same reasons and for the same purposes. And so God is saying, if you love me, show your love for me by loving others. He's saying, seek the good and the welfare of people in their physical life, in their mental life, in their social life, and most definitely in their spiritual life. In 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 13, this is a love passage. A lot of people know this passage, but he's speaking speaking a lot about the idea of relationship and religion. He says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to poor to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I would boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Think about it. That's a list of things that they say, if I did. Most of us would say, those are good things. Most of us would say, those are things we should aspire to. But God is saying that if you don't have love, they mean nothing. He is saying that relationship is always more important than, than um, religion. And so he goes on in verse 8. He says, He's, and now he's going to move on from, from kind of what, how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to treat others to what comes from that. And so he says, then your salvation will be like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, on the, Lord, or when you call the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. So relationship brings God's blessings. And so what type of blessings are they? The first one is relationship. The most important relationship we can have is God's relationship with us. God created us for relationship, wants to have a relationship with us. And the problem is, is that we have separated that through our sin but God is saying, I want to give you salvation. I want to give you salvation through my son, Jesus Christ, so that you can have that relationship with me. So he's saying, I want to give you forgiveness of your sins. I want to give you a new life. I want to give you an eternal life. I want to give you a life of purpose, a life of purpose to God. And that is salvation. And this is an incredible blessing that is promised us if we love God and we love others. And then he says, because you have salvation, your wounds will quickly heal. Now he's talking about life restoration, he's talking about healing, he's talking about transformation. He's talking about the fact that if you love God, if you're in a relationship with God, God brings us healing and he brings us freedom from the issues, from the concerns, from the worries, the disappointments and the trials that we face on a daily basis. But he's also saying that when we are in a relationship with others, what do we begin to do? We begin to take our eyes our minds off of our situation and we put them on others so that we can freely live to love others the way God has purposed for us. And then he says, because you have salvation, because your life's transformed, he's like, now godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. This is just a big sentence for saying, I'm going to guide and protect you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to come around you and I'm going to give you my guidance. I'm going to give you my protection because you are sitting in the middle of my purpose and my will. If you love God, and love others. And he's saying, you will be strengthened. You'll be energized. You'll be determined. You'll be focused. You'll be effective because God is with you and you are with God aligned in your purposes. And then he says, when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. Is that not good news? Is that not an incredible blessing? He says, if you love God and you love others, when you call, I will be there. When you call, I'm your man. When you call, you can count on me being there and count on me. And basically what he's, saying, what, he, would, uh, um, what he's saying here is that when we love God and we love others, it says that God will be there for us, that when we call, he will come. And the truth is, is the fact is, is that God's already there. If we love God, God's already with us. But what he wants us to see is that not only is that he with us, but he wants us to recognize his power and his presence in every instance of our lives, including how we act, treat, and love other people. Then he goes on and he's got this little aside in the middle just to kind of remind them again. He says, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and feed those who are in trouble. So this is just kind of an aside by God because God knows how easy it is for us to forget what we are supposed to do. God knows how easy it is for us to neglect our purpose to love others, how easy it is for us to ignore others' needs, to become critical, to become dismissive, to become weary of or weary with, or become accusative or, or, or slanderous to others. God knows that we are so easy for us to slip back into this that after he's told them about their blessings, he says, but don't forget, don't act like this again, and then he's going to move on forward. And so basically he, he does this because he knows that these actions— keep us from having relationships with other people, okay? Keep us from having the love relationship that God wants for us. But they also keep us from living out the purpose that God has created us for. And so, so he moves on and he says, then your light, if you don't do those things, then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of the walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. So his final thing is he's saying relationship relationship brings God's direction and purpose to our lives. He starts off and he says that there will be light. And he's not talking about light as far as salvation. He's not talking about light as far as goodness. He's alluding to God's direction and God's leading. He's saying, if you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do, you don't have all the answers, turn to me and I will have them for you. I have them for you. And God steps in and he lovingly leads us because he loves us and because we are aligning our lives with him when we love God and when we love others. And then he says, really long passage. He says, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength, you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And he's talking about God's provision. And what I love about this passage is he's saying, I'm going to provide for you, but I'm not talking about the normal everyday provision that I've already given you, food, shelter, all those kind of things, water, those kind of things. I'm talking about an, an extra supply, an eternal supply to meet our spiritual, our physical, and our emotional needs when we need them most. And then he says, when you're dry, and he's talking about, he says, when you're, when you're dry, he's talking about the, the time and place of this special provision. He doesn't actually tell us what he's going to provide, but he tells us he is going to provide it when we have a need. And so when we are in that place where we feel like, like uh, when we feel in that place where we can't, we, there's nowhere else to go. We can't be satisfied. We can't be fulfilled. We don't know where to turn. That's when God says, I will provide for you what you need. When we're in that place where we're down, we're empty, and things seem bleak, and maybe we're even hopeless. That is exactly when God comes to you and to meet your needs. And so he's telling you that I will be there when you need me. I will supply all that you need. And then he says, rebuild the deserted ruins, And a lot of translations include for further generations, because the idea here, and it's a better idea here, is that we're not just rebuilding the desert ruins for ourselves, but we're rebuilding them for others. And the idea is if we love God and love others, if we have a relationship with God and a relationship with others, that should point us to something that's far outside of ourselves. And, And it should point us beyond what the here and now is to think about the next generation and to think about the future. And not just think about the next generation, but to help the next generation know God in relationship and have purpose with God because of that relationship. And then finally he says, keep the Sabbath day holy. We are given the promise of rest and fulfillment. So this whole passage deals with, deals with fasting. Okay. At the beginning, he talks about fasting. And fasting was an idea of withstanding from food, the idea of withstanding from something. But really what it was is the idea of, of, of sacrificing or suffering or serving God through some kind of worship or whatever. And so this is their idea of seeing as how we sacrifice and how we do it for God, but God examining our hearts for the reason why we do it. And so fa- fasting, sacrifice, worship, service, whatever we want to call it, when it's done properly leads to Sabbath. And Sabbath is the idea of a feast, okay? Sabbath always dealt with a feast, and it dealt with rest and feasting. And now God's not promising, he's promising us rest, but he's not promising us a bunch of food if we love God and love others. What he is saying is, he says, I'm promising you that you can feast on my presence, and feast on my power, feast on my purpose of God for fulfillment and for satisfaction, because you are living your life the way I have created you to live. So God does not want our religion, he wants a relationship. God does not need our sacrifice. He wants our hearts. Okay. Our perfect fit is living out the purposes that God has created us for. The purposes God has created for us for is to love God and to love others. To have a heart that seeks God, to have a heart that cares for others and cares and ministers and seeks the welfare of others above ourselves. To have a heart for one another, but more importantly, to have a heart for that one more. We started at the very beginning talking about why we are going to three services, why we do what we do. It's so that we can reach that one more. But when we love God and we love others, we see their great need for Jesus Christ. We see their great need for salvation. We see their great need for a relationship with God, and that should push us forward into that. And when we come into that, we come into this perfect fit in that purpose. We have this perfection in our purpose. We have this perfect peace, and we have this perfect empowerment, and there's satisfaction and there's fulfillment in knowing that we are living and loving the way God has intended and created us for. And so that means we do not sacrifice, we do not serve, we do not worship, we do not minister for what we can get out of it or to bend God's will and ways to our wills and ways, but we do it so that we can bring glory to God and that we can show love, we can show compassion and show value and priority to others and their well-being and their welfare so that we can reach that one more. So let me talk about next steps. First of all, next step is you need that relationship with God. We're talking about relationship. You need a relationship with God that comes through salvation through Jesus Christ. And then letting go of religion that is keeping you from a relationship with God and others. So as we come to the close of this service and we come and, and we, uh, I just want to share... We talked a lot about relationship. We talked about loving God. You might be saying, I, you know, I know who God is. I, I don't know how to love God. I don't know if we have a relationship with God. And the truth is, is that God created us to have a relationship with us. God created us because he loved us. And God created us because he wanted to go through life with us. He wanted to use us. He wanted to, to choose us. He wanted to trust us. He wanted to, to allow us to do his, be part of his kingdom and do his work. And God loves us. But our sin... Every time we do something that goes against God, we sin. And our sin separates us from God. And man has tried a lot of different things to get to God. They've tried, they've tried to check all the boxes. They've tried to be religious. They've tried to do the things that they think God wants them to do. But God tells us, I just want you to love me. I want you to love me through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the way that you have a relationship with me. And He says, and so he says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So because of our sins, we were separated. But God said, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who didn't deserve death. He's going to die on the cross for you. And when he dies on the cross for you, he's going to bring you forgiveness of your sins. He's going to bring you new purpose in life. He's going to bring you eternal life that is yours because I love you that much. And the truth is, is that we don't have to fill out the the little card and we don't have to check all the boxes. We don't have to do religious things. We don't have to do church things. The Bible says that if we believe in our hearts and we confess of our mouths, we shall be saved. Not we might, not we could, but he says we shall be saved. And Jesus Christ just wants you to believe in your heart that he loves you and that he died for you because God wants to have a relationship with you. And so I want to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. And maybe you're sitting in here and you're like, I don't have that relationship with God, Steve, but I want, I want to know Jesus. I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. Or maybe you're sitting at home and you're, and you're watching online and you're, and you're in the same place. And I want to give you an opportunity right now. So if you've never, ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you want to do that right now. I'd ask that you just raise your hand anywhere around the room. Just raise your hand. If you're at home um, you can, and, and you've done this for the first time, that's a fantastic thing too. And we want to be able to walk alongside that with you so you can text my decision to 94,000. Uh, but I just want to pray a little prayer for us and then we're going to continue on. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for, for the fact that you love us and you desire a relationship with us. And Lord, I pray that if there is anybody in this room that does not have a relationship with you, that they would come to you through the person of Jesus Christ. They will realize that they're a sinner. They will realize that they cannot work their way. They cannot do enough things. They cannot be religious enough to have a relationship with you, but that only comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would put their faith and their trust and their belief in him. They would believe their hearts and confess to their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord today so they shall be saved, Lord. And that you would give them forgiveness of their sins, that you would give them a new life, a new purpose and an eternal life, Lord. And that, Lord, you would come into their lives and, and, and just give them that abundant life that you promise us. But Lord, for all of us, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would remember that you have commanded us and called us to love you and to love others. And that everything that we do should be framed in those two things. And Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And it's in your holy, precious name we pray, amen. So as we come, we're going to, the band's going to come up and, and sing here in just a second. And if you, want to, if you want to talk to me more or talk to any of our counselors up here more about, uh, about knowing who Jesus Christ is and having a relationship with God, we would love to have you come do that. Um, and you can come while we sing. But I also want to say, you know, a lot of us have been in church for a long time or maybe we've been in church for a shorter time, but we have allowed things to creep into our lives that are no longer about our relationship with God and they have a whole lot more to do with some kind of religious practice that we think we need to do. We've gotten our. We're putting the wrong shape into the wrong place, and maybe you just need to come forward and confess that to God. Maybe you need to repent that to God. I want to give you an opportunity as well. You can come forward, or if you just need prayer, we'll have some people up here as we sing. You come forward. Now, please stand with us as we close.